0: RootslandNation.com We're your culture. 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 culture 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 Culture. Henry K. Redemption. Henry Kate Seduction. Guys,
1: righteousness
0: govern the world.
1: Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica, from a magical place. At the intersection of words, sound and power, the red light is on. your dial is set, the frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Yes. Stories that are music to your ears. Music historian Roger Steffens tells a story of a friend who went to visit Tibet soon after it opened up to the west for tourists. On a pilgrimage to a remote village, his friend meets a monk that lives in a makeshift hut cut deep into the Himalayan mountains. The view from the humble dwelling, a breathtaking panorama of snow-capped mountains and the fertile emerald fields that bathe in the glacier's life-giving melt-off. Inside the monk's small room, a weathered straw mat, a wood-burning stove, and a battery-operated tape deck that was playing Bob Marley's album, Naughty Dreadlocks.
0: I had a roots.
1: To most avid Bob Marley fans, the story is not the least bit surprising. Neither the scope of Marley's musical reach, yeah. Yeah. or that his conscious roots reggae appeals to the most spiritually enlightened individuals on the planet. And while his wailing vocals have traveled far and wide, Bob Marley, the man, comes from humble roots born in a one-room cement shack in the small town of Nine Mile with a population of just a few hundred people, nestled in the hills of St. Anne's Parish on Jamaica's north coast. Bob didn't actually move to the Trenchtown ghetto that was so prevalent in his music until he was around 12. His young mother, Sidella Booker, had to leave her home and move to the city to look for work. After Bob's father, Captain Norval Marley, a plantation overseer from a wealthy family, abandoned them. Described as a tall white man on a tall white horse, it didn't take much for Cedella, a 16-year-old country girl, to be swept away by the stoic and dashing 60-year-old captain in the Royal Marines. She really didn't stand a chance, and he didn't seem to ever feel any guilt or remorse about leaving his young family forcing them from their peaceful life in Jamaica's Garden Parish, known for exotic flora, into the dehumanizing rat race of Kingston's concrete jungle, a move that obviously had an impact on a teenage Robert Nesta Marley. Perhaps Bob's disdain for the ghetto, his hatred for a place that confines and limits a man's physical and emotional growth, was amplified by the fact he wasn't born there. He was trapped there. Part of the torture was less than an hour away from the stagnation, the stench of ghetto life, lie the sweet green pastures of the Jamaican countryside, with some of the planet's most breathtaking scenery. But land costs money, and what little work there is takes place in the city. By the time you save enough for your home, you've worked your fingers to the bone. There's not that much left of your mind, or your body. The money in the bank. I don't know, I know have that type of richness. My richness is life. My is life. In the spring of 1991, I was driving to Ocho Rios, Jamaica, attending a concert commemorating the 10th anniversary of Bob Marley's death. For Kush Danai, the wiry dreadlock singer in the passenger seat, the only thing on his mind since leaving Kingston was the assassination of his friend, Peter Tosh. Marley's fellow whaler, who was killed in a robbery gone awry in Tasha's Jack's Hills home on September 11th, 1987. Also murdered that night, broadcaster and fellow revolutionary thinker Jeff Free Eye Dixon, a prominent and respected member of the Rastafarian community. These were the men that inspired a generation like Kush to become singers and Rastas. I tried to keep our conversation upbeat, but Kush was concerned, and rightfully so, his music, his heroes, were under assault.
0: Yo, Henry, that story I heard about the monk who living in the hills and listen to Bob Marley. Really believe it is true. Well, Kush,
1: anything's possible. I
0: mean, John no or how would he even get batteries in cassette player, higher?
1: I don't know how the monk gets batteries. Maybe they're rechargeable.
0: Rechargeable. In a cave Rasta. that no make no sense to I.
1: Okay, uh-huh. Don't tell either. Forget the batteries. Focus on the story. The point is, because of Bob, reggae's reached everywhere, Kush.
0: Yes, I am. The
1: message is out of the bottle, and people love it. That's going to make breaking through easier for you and the younger singers coming up.
0: Your school. You guys
1: just got to stick together and stay positive. Keep building the brand. The foundation's already there. Yo,
0: Bingy. Everything change up in our music. There's no more unity in this business again Rasta. If we could have just come together and unify our music Anytime when I and I try to rise up and unify the people them kill them off. You see all them dubab and how them assassinate Peter Grieve Rasta
1: Oh Cush man can't we talk about something else but killings and assassinations? I want to enjoy the drive.
0: Yes, my brother, no respect. Fresh air. Sorry we can't talk about something else. John, how about your girlfriend? Hey, You still have that same sweet girl
1: from Long Island. All right, let's move on from that subject too. We broke up, I messed up. Big
0: broke time. broke it off with of her. What do you mean? Yeah,
1: it was a momentary laugh. Blood clot, idiot. You know this business.
0: What did I tell you about letting this business get to your head?
1: No. Wasn't that your college girl? She was my high school girlfriend.
0: Blood clot, Chris Whitewell. The man cursed everything he touched.
1: Now you're starting to sound like your friend Brian. You
0: mean your friend Brian? That's because he have sense. Yeah.
1: I met Kush through Brian from Colorado. Kush was also a singer. But he had to put his career on hold because of how time-consuming his full-time job was. Working for a singer. Not just any singer. Kush worked for Dennis Brown, one of Jamaica's greatest singers, the crown prince of reggae. Cush's job description as a member of Dennis Brown's entourage was as vague as it was vast. Responsibilities such as making sure the promoters pay, Handling backstage passes, hiding and transporting the Sensimilia and all assorted accoutrements on tour, procuring women and getting rid of women. And of course, the prerequisite fan favorite, jumping around on stage waving the Rasta flag as one of D. Brown's hype men. After all, you got to give the people what they pay for. And the artists get paid well to do it. It's just that, unfortunately, very little of that money trickles down to the musicians and the sound engineers, and even less to the members of the entourage. It turns out, hype doesn't pay. And loyal soldiers like Kush Danai can find themselves on tour in strange countries, cold, broke, hungry, relying on the kindness of reggae fans and strangers for a little extra help or a few hot meals to get them through. Strangers like Brian from Colorado, who met Kush while he was on tour in Fort Collins, Brian was working for the promoter of the show, and Dennis Brown, the headliner, sent Kush out to look for some high-grade marijuana and gourmet vegetarian food. What he came back with was Brian. For the next few days in Fort Collins, the aspiring singers, Brian and Kush, bonded over their love of music, Amelia, and conspiracy theories. They both had a deep mistrust for a careless and corrupt political system, and they shared a belief there was a targeted effort by the establishment to silence reggae music's most prominent voices. An idea underscored by the recent murder of the beloved singer Peter Tosh, which both thought was a cold-blooded political assassination. When Cush left Fort Collins, thanks to Brian, he left with a suitcase full of vegetarian food, a half pound of Colorado's best intica, and a friend for life.
0: Yo, Brian, give thanks and praise. Make sure you check for me when you come Jamaica.
1: This was my first trip to Jamaica since the launch of the island's debut 24-hour, seven-day-a-week all-reggae radio station, 107.5 Irie FM. It had been playing on the rental car's one-blown speaker since leaving Kingston. And minus the horrific sound quality, I enjoyed catching up on all the latest hits by all the latest artists. My passenger, Kush, was not as enamored with Irie FM as I was. It's hard to imagine that in the birthplace of reggae, it took over two decades for the country's Broadcasting Commission to recognize the national treasure of their indigenous music and finally grant its first official license to an all-reggae format radio station in 1990. Although it was not for lack of trying, and IREFM was not the first to apply for the coveted license. Several years earlier, Jamaican broadcaster and DJ Jeffrey I. Dixon, with the backing of his friend Peter Tosh, were in the final plans of starting their own reggae radio station. Plans that were less concerned about playing the type of reggae that would appeal to North Coast tourists enjoying poolside pina coladas and focused more on socially conscious roots reggae. Songs that would educate the island's inner-city youth and mix music with the teachings of Pan-African philosopher Marcus Garvey and civil rights leaders Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. They aspired to have a future generation from the ghetto become self-empowered, proud, black, critical thinkers. So
0: watch Boogie, Boogie, love you.
1: Frankly, an idea that scared the crap out of the Jamaican ruling elite, who much preferred the current status quo. All they had to do was look across the Caribbean to Fidel Castro's Cuba to see what kind of impact revolutionary ideas broadcast on radio stations can have on an island. They suddenly had a vision of their... Bougie North Coast resort buffets occupied with camouflaged machete-yielding dreads. It turns out Jamaica's powerful autocracy wouldn't have to worry, as fate would have it the idea of a radio station designed to emancipate and uplift the captured minds of Jamaican youth died on September 11, 1987, with the murders of Peter Tosh and Free Eye Dixon. Their dream of a future generation having the tools and knowledge to escape their emotional bondage, their mental slavery, to this day still lies in a bloodstain on a concrete floor in Jack's Hills. A short time after the murders, Irie FM, the watered-down corporate version of reggae radio, would kick off to great fanfare, a victory for the common everyday Jamaican and a testament to the progress of reggae music. Everyone was too caught up in the revelry to notice the station's owners. A powerful syndicate of some of Jamaica's wealthiest, greediest individuals now controlled the major pipeline for reggae music. Some of the genre's biggest detractors were now the very ones choosing the playlists, deciding on what songs and artists made their valuable national airwaves. Something Kush told me was dangerous. It ushered in an age of the corporate rasta and an end of the ghetto artist, Kush called it state sponsored reggae. Tosh, I
0: always thought, was significant, not only because he really was a fine musician, but more significantly because I think there was an integrity to Tosh's anger. There burnt within him this indignation. Yes, I am. Uh, it's thing.
1: Everything about Kush was electric. He was thin and jolty. His short dreadlocks looked like they had a thousand volts shooting through them, like some kind of dreadlocked Marvel superhero. Kush Danai's superpower? His undying and unquestioned loyalty, especially to the artist he loved, Dennis Brown, willing to put his life on the line in a moment's notice for his singer. Soldiers like Kush are hard to come by. No one understood that better than Brian, who kept close contact with Kush over the years occasionally wiring down some funds via Western Union when he could. When I told Brian I was going to be in Jamaica for the Marley concert and would be driving solo from Kingston to Ocho Rios, Brian told me that it might be dangerous. Politics in Jamaica was hotter than ever, and that meant the roving street gangs associated with the political parties, the PNP, and JLP would be out, patrolling their swatches of turf, looking for trouble. If I was going to make the drive, I should take with me someone I could trust who would have my back. Someone smart enough to speak up when needed and keep quiet the rest of the time. Someone like Kush danai.
0: Anyway, remember something when you meet your boss, Mr. Blackwell. I and I know what it is like to want that life, to want power and possessions. Sacrificing everything for fame and fortune that is easier and more common than you think. Resisting temptation to do it. That is what takes sacrifice.
1: Rootsland is produced by Henry K Productions, in association with Vicebox Studios. Remember to like, share and subscribe and please support our show by downloading the Rootsland original soundtrack, available on Amazon, iTunes or wherever you purchase music.
0: Don't worry about a thing, because every little thing is going to be right. Henry K Productions.